What do we do when we find ourselves up against the many leadership challenges that exist within our chosen careers? We all have goals and achievements that we would like to accomplish. Unfortunately, these desires don't come equipped with insight or awareness on how to bring these accomplishments to light. In essence, this is why the Dream Octane Niche Finder Framework was formed. Our founder, Clifton C. Manning, spent the first 17 of his 20-year career in healthcare working with physicians and healthcare leaders to achieve patient-centric goals while possessing only an associate's degree in applied science. At times, these challenges were daunting, and he felt unqualified to achieve the success he wanted. However, he focused on becoming intentional in reading every leadership book that he could find, as well as attending frequent seminars in areas where he saw opportunities to improve. Over time, as he applied insights gained from these various sources, he was able to successfully and efficiently cross the hurdles he found himself up against. Eventually, varying degrees of success within his sphere of leadership influence became more evident. The Niche Finder podcast is intended to bring similar insight to you, the listener, from those who have achieved some level of noteworthy success in their chosen career. Our hope is that the challenges they have overcome in the past will provide insight for your current leadership struggles and unlock the dream of achieving success in your own career. We believe that if innovative change is an engine, your unique dreams and abilities could be its fuel. And now I present to you the host of the Niche Finder podcast, Clifton C. Manning. I want to welcome you to this version of the Niche Finder Framework. Today, I'm very excited, and I know I say that quite often, but today is a special moment because we actually have, if you listen to one of our prior episodes with Dr. Mark Urquhart, well, he had, we have his better half on the show today. Uh, this is Dr. Erica Urquhart, and she is an MD with a PhD that specializes in, a subspecialty rather, in neuroscience. That's what she had up until a couple years ago, where she also obtained the MBA as well as an MBT, which is a master's in biblical theology. So if you want to have a conversation that is going to have uh, uh, quite a few layers on it, we need to tune in to what uh, this young lady has to say today. And so uh, by way of just getting jumping right into it, I want to make Dr. Er Erica Urquhart. Welcome to the Niche Finder program. Thank you for joining us today. And, you know, I can't wait to hear what you have to share. Thank you so much for having me, Cliff. And it's been a long time since someone called me a young lady. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> if they have video, they would agree with me. So it's <laughs> um, so to, to just get started, uh, why would the audience have a vested interest in your journey? I think my journey's interesting because it's been somewhat circuitous. And although, you know, I've had the highs of educational achievement, I think there's been a process of discovery that's been superimposed. So it's it's not a characteristic or typical journey. Mm. Mm. How so has your journey been been different in comparison to what I guess a typical journey would be? <laughs> well, I guess, you know, if I had to say, I'd say my husband's journey is somewhat, you know, typical uh, in that he always knew he wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. He pursued that endeavor and mastered 
the specialty and the subspecialties that he wanted to pursue and has maintained that singular trajectory. Uh, where I came to medicine thinking I wanted to do neurosurgery, ergo the PhD in neuroscience, decided I liked the peripheral nervous system more than the central nervous system, so went to orthopedic surgery. Uh, once I got to orthopedic surgery, decided to stay a generalist, so did more joint replacements than anything having to do with the neuroscience I trained in. And then life um, choices put me in a position where then I had the opportunity to explore some other interests outside of medicine. So I, where typically I think a, lo a lot of physicians, I won't say typically, many physicians tend to stay within the realm of medicine and the sciences. Uh, I've sort of had exposure and significant interest in time investment outside of medicine specifically. Mm. What external struggles were you dealing with at the start of your journey? At the start of my journey, I wouldn't say I had any significant struggles. I would say there were opportunities to learn my strengths and my ability to navigate the environment in which we live. Mm. Um, as an African-American woman in the United States, right. it was an environment that uh, wasn't necessarily representative of my goals. So I never saw or met anyone that went to the college that I wanted to go to until I was on the precipice of being able to attend. <laughs> mm. I really didn't know or meet anyone who was in the specialty that I had decided to pursue until I was in a position to be able to pursue that. Um, and on down the line. So with the absence of immediate role models, I wouldn't say there were challenges or difficulties, but it did require a certain amount of assertion and savvy to be able to then get to the goal. Mm. Uh, did you have any internal struggles as you were going through this process? Early on, I, you know, sometimes I, I try to capture that that person, that, that young woman, because early on I was fearless and courageous and I was not my my enemy. <laughs> you know, I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. So there were no internal struggles. There was a desire and I would say uh, a passion for success and an internal knowledge that it was mine to be had. Mm. So, <laughs> all right, all right. I, I hear your strength is coming through the mic, definitely. <laughs> uh, we know who not to mess with. That's what I'm saying right now. <laughs> um, but so, I, I just find that you had these, um, you know, these concrete markers of where you what you wanted to achieve did you have any mentors anybody giving you uh, maybe some added self-confidence uh, to go on top of what you already had I had guardian angels that's how I would describe them you know a mentor usually you perceive a mentor as someone who's been where you're going or who can kind of give you a sense of 
you know, what the journey will be. And I think my mentorship stopped at getting into college initially. Um, but I had guardian angels who maybe had connections or who saw something in me and were able to create opportunities for me to then gain the exposure to the mentors in due time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Did you have any roadblocks that you hit in this process? Well, I, I, <laughs> I'm reluctant to talk about I think one of the major roadblocks that occurred just because I, I feel that when I tell the story, it's it's a negative story. But I've been told that there's an abbreviated version that I can share that people would benefit from. So I'll try. I'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the ninth grade, I was preparing for our school's inaugural participation in the Science Olympiad. And this was a state and then national competition. The school that I attended was a math science computer magnet school. So it would be expected that we would want to participate in an activity like this and we'd want to do well because we didn't really have sports. Science was our sport. I prepared for this uh, Science Olympiad with my best friend, my then best friend, uh, Joanna. And she and I basically prepared all the same events, uh, just like the Olympics. You have, you know, these events, but they're all science. And um, when the time came for selection of participants on the team, our teacher, our coach, posted all of the results. And on the list of results, Joanna was listed as a team member participant, and I was listed as an alternate. But the scores reflected that my scores were higher than Joanna's pretty much across the board. So I asked the teacher, well, why am I the alternate and Joanna is on the team if my scores are higher than hers? And he said um, that I really couldn't question him on it. He was the coach and it was his decision. So I marched myself down to the principal's office and said, you know, Dr. Bennett, well, I don't really understand why, but I'm the alternate on the team and uh, my scores are higher than the person who's on the team. So, you know, can we find out why this is? (laughs) And Dr. Bennett went and spoke to the teacher and after his investigation determined that I should have been on the team and, you know, the other person, Joanna, should have been the alternate. And so he reversed the decision. At that moment, then the coach quit. Mm. <laughs> Said, I'm not taking the team to Michigan State. Wow. So, from San Diego, we were traveling from California. Mm. So, it became a hubbub. You know, again, this is not the abbreviated version. It became a hubbub. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, my mother, who worked for the school district, asked me, you know, is this really important for you? Because the decision of the principal had been reversed at this time. And so our only recourse would be to go to the school board to ask them to consider, reconsider. Hmm. And so, you know, there's this feeling that maybe she would be jeopardizing her job or, you know, creating a negative political environment for herself if she were to push this. So she said, you know, is this really important to you? Do you want to pursue this? And I said, yes, Hmm. (laughs) it's important to me. 
ultimately, I traveled to Michigan as the alternate. And I think that lit a fire in me, to be totally honest, because I felt even at that young age, nobody told me, no one told me this, but my interpretation was that they couldn't believe that an African-American young lady was that bright and that she deserved to be on the team. That's how I interpreted Mm. the the situation. Mm. And that then put me on a course to prove those naysayers wrong. (laughs) Mm. So I... I had a righteous anger, I'll be honest. It was an internal anger, but it was a a righteous anger. And so, you know, that if I had to say there was a pivotal moment, that was the pivotal moment for me to um, really decide for myself that I had something to prove. You know, I love that. It, I'll take a commercial break on that point because it reminded me of something years ago. We had a, um, a vehicle that um, we had just gotten secondhand. It was early on in my marriage and it was making this rattling noise in the, in the front of it. And we brought it to a guy who was a mechanic. And when he uh, opened it, as soon as he heard it rattling, he was like, oh, I know exactly what it is. He opened up the hood and he reached down into it and he said, watch this. And he put his finger inside of the engine and the rattling stopped instantly. And what I discovered, he, he was like, oh, is this pump is da, 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 whatever it is. But I was fascinated by the fact that he was able to put his finger on the problem. Right. And I think there are times in life where we have those moments. And it sounds like you kind of had that moment where you kind of put your finger on a problem. <laughs> You're like, I know how to fix this. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to stop this rattling. <laughs> and so it kind of bled right into the next question that I was going to ask you, which is, you know, um, you know, what epiphany did you experience? But I kind of hear that in what you were just sharing just a while ago. Um, uh, how did that transformation shape you, though, as you began to go into, you know, the different studies, your higher learning? Hmm. Well, I think it created an, a situation for me that it was both a blessing and a curse. The blessing was I was always pushing the limit. You know, I never rested on my laurels. I always took one extra course. I always was thinking about like, what's the next level? You know, is there something more that I can do? Um, the curse is, you know, there's really no rest in that. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of pressure that's involved in, in sort of leading your life that way. But when you talk about mentors, every successful mentor that I had up to that point had emphasized, you know, living in the package that you're in, you must be twice as good. You must not have any deficiencies or weaknesses because they will be amplified. You know, as as good as you can possibly be, you need to be. And you have to be on all the time. And that's just to get your foot in the door. You know, I had um, uh, a guest on, Dr. Jane Smith, and he said he learned something from his mother 
uh, that he carried on even up until today. And the, the quote that she would always say to him was, James, don't give people bullets because they already got guns. And he said he, the, what he took from that was he's never going to allow people to uh, exclude him or give them the ammunition to exclude him from an opportunity. And I kind of hear that in what you're saying. Uh, right now uh i do want to get to that's the first segment that we have of three that is what we encapsulate as your journey i think it was so much that's in there we could actually it's like kool-aid or it's concentrated tang or whatever you can just <laughs> add water and just keep adding what's drink just keep drinking it but um i would like to get to what we call your niche and I see the niche as being uh, really made up of five characteristics or qualities. The first one is passions. Um, this is uh, what do you have strong interests in? The second is uh, purposeful. What do you do that uh, feels meaningful to you? Uh, the third is patterns. What do you do naturally well? The fourth, proficiencies. What activities have you learned to do well over time? And then problem solving. What challenges do people come to you to solve in a unique way? And so if we go back up to the top. What passions have you had or what do you do when you do it? You feel ignited. Hmm. I, I think what ignites me, which is why I'm a lifelong learner, is finding out something that I don't know or making a connection that I didn't see before or maybe, you know, finding new connections. So innovation. Um uh, or finding a way to do something better, um, efficiencies. Uh, those are the things, you know, that I'm really passionate about, you know, getting on the cusp, that, that tip of the needle that um, has yet to really be clarified or elucidated. Um, that That's a passion for me. Mm. Um, what do you do that feels purposeful? What do you do that when you do it, you feel like saying to yourself, I feel like I was born for this moment. I think helping people, that's why I went into medicine in the first place. And I know that sounds very genetic, uh, generic, mm -hmm. uh, but it's true. I think um, for me, purpose is leaving any situation or circumstance better than when I found it. Mm -hmm. It's not always comfortable for, I think, the people in the situation or circumstance. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> who are looking for status quo. But if there's a better, if there's a way to be more inclusive so that more uh, are able to take advantage of situations, circumstances, opportunities, um, that's, that's when I feel I'm in my purpose. Hmm. Well, what patterns do you have? What do you do naturally well? I'm a strategist. Hmm. I'm a connector. Hmm. I'm a learner. Um, and so, yes, I'm able to sort of see the forest and the trees. Mm. And I think that's somewhat unique. Mm. I like that. Uh, I'm gonna have to write that one down to that little segment right there. <laughs> that's golden. <laughs> uh, you were ready for that moment right there. I love it. Um, proficiencies. Now, what have you learned to do well over time? I've learned the field of medicine and healthcare over time in the United States, and I feel that's a unique proficiency for me, uh, is being able to understand not only the 
physiology, the pathophysiology, the therapeutics, but how that all comes together in terms of the practical application of that knowledge and helping people get better or the attempts to help people get better. Uh, so I think, you know, that's a hard earned proficiency. Mm. Wow. Um, what problems do people come to you to solve? Uh, I think they're, they're numerous and varied, but I'm sort of the person who can kind of go in and cut away the extraneous stuff and get down to the, the meat, the heart of an issue. Um, the problems that I'm usually asked to solve are managerial, um, executional, um, the very practical. And um, then at times I'm asked to shed light, I would say, on spiritual problems. Mm. Mm. So that encapsulates that last question, your leadership ability. Um, in referencing uh, the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell, he has a quote in there by uh, the late Colin Powell, a great Colin Powell who just passed away um, at the time of this recording just last week. Um, he, and where Colin Powell actually said, you have achieved excellence as a leader when people will follow you everywhere, if only out of curiosity. Now, the reason I bring that quote up is to bring us to our very next section, which is your secrets and the secrets that I want you to lead the individual that you're going to be talking to is going to be leading your younger self, your way younger <laughs> self. <laughs> and so um, what secrets would you share with your pre niche self or pre collegiate self um, that you feel will help to accelerate that young lady's journey from where she is at that moment in time to where you are today? Oh, that's a tough one. You know, the pre-niche, pre-collegiate me, she was pretty tight. <laughs> um, you know, if I had to counsel her, to be honest, I would counsel her just to slow down and smell the roses, just enjoy life a bit more. You know, I, I tell my children all the time, they get tired of, they're like, mom, you always say that. I tell them, these are the good old days. There will be a moment, you know, in the future when you'll look back and you'll just think about us going, you know, to the store on the way home or, you know, the, the, the way that the fruits are arranged, you know, in this particular grocery store, you're going to look back and say, yeah, you know, those were, those were precious moments. I, I think, you know, the young lady, she she did things pretty well, um, but I would just advise her to trust God just a little bit more Yeah, that, you know, she doesn't have to control everything and to sort of relax into her strength if, if that is meaningful mm. or interpretable. <laughs> Uh, what secret would you give her uh, to getting started and staying committed? Hmm. Um, I think getting started was, was never an issue for her. 
Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, it has to do with that necessity. Sometimes when you're in a position that the, you feel as if the only way to go is up, <laughs> that, that, you know, the trajectory is just it, it, status quo is unacceptable. You, you've got to move then getting started is not really an issue. And and I, and I guess, you know, it's a challenge when you have the option of sort of languishing or the option of just kind of stopping that that's the challenge. I think that's the place of challenge, you know, for young people, I guess I can't really speak to young people today. You know, I'm of that. I'm of a certain age. I can only speak of, of young people when when I was growing up. Yeah. We we knew that we weren't going to be able to come back home to our parents' house. We had to go and do something, and it was it, wherever that took you. It took you, but coming back home was not an option. You had to move on. <laughs> you had to do something for yourself. So, the you know, even when I was in college. I majored in engineering, although I knew I wanted to go to medical school because I wanted to be certain that I would be employable. I would have a job when I graduated if for whatever reason I did not get into medical school. Now, should I have been so worried about getting into medical school? No. But I didn't know. It was a, it was an X factor, you know, until it was done. I didn't know I was going to get into medical school. And if I didn't get into medical school, I needed to be able to get a job. So major in engineering. <laughs> wow. Um, you made that sound so simple. <laughs> major in engineering is something major, especially for a brother like me, man, going into engineering. Uh, that's a commitment right there. So um, that just speaks to the level of uh, desire that you have and also the, the bandwidth to be able to do that. That's awesome. Um, so tell me about now that you've discovered your niche, uh, what secret do you have to staying consistent? Mm, that's a good one. That's still a challenge for me, consistency, because I thrive on inspiration and imagination. And to maintain that or to cultivate that, I think, is uh, a constant challenge. And without it, I do. I, I languish. I kind of go around in circles. I, I you know, um, just kind of wander until I, I find it. And then when I find it, you know, it's like I go from zero to a thousand. When I find it, you know, then all of a sudden I'm moving at light speed. But until it's found, the consistency, you know, that's a challenge. So my secret of late has been to think about those triggers. What can trigger the inspiration? How can I chip away at the things around inspiration until the inspiration comes? And um, that, that's really, I think, the best thing is, is not to panic because I think I tend to panic inwardly when I don't have that, that something and, and I tend not to be satisfied with just enough. I want it to be inspired. I want it to be great. Um, but consistency really comes from being able to break the bigger project or task into smaller elements that can be 
pursued over time um, in the absence of that spark of imagination or that flow that that one might seek. Mm. And so uh, when we look at, at your niche, what level of intensity do you believe someone needs to have to pursue and maintain the course towards finding and developing their niche? Mm. That's a powerful one. You know, I think that question belies a philosophical perspective that you can manufacture mm. um, the niche. But I would say that the niche is, it's, it's God-given, yeah. it's inspired, um, and it's in your DNA. If, if you're really in, in your niche, it's mm. in your DNA, it's a part of you. Um, there's a congruence there. Mm. And so with that, then it's a matter of allowing what is within to manifest without or externally. And so the intensity sometimes can be a barrier to that flow or that expression. Mm. Sometimes you just have to let go and let what's inside come out. And when you do that, sometimes you find that what's produced is far beyond whatever you could have imagined if you had pushed. So it's a, it's a balance between sort of, you know, I use these terms organic and the muscular. Like how muscular do you have to be in order to, you know, let this organic manifest into something that is that that God-given niche, mm-hmm. right? And and so, I mean, there are times when you have to push through, but I would say the intensity, mm, and maybe it's just because of my life experience, I shy away from intensity, mm-hmm. and I, I really gravitate toward that expression or that flow, letting what's inside come out. Mm. So... I just want to uh, take another commercial break and just just to make one note that, you know, if conversation is uh, like a good meal, uh, this is beginning to feel like Thanksgiving. I just want to let you know that, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of meat on that bone right there. There's a lot. <laughs> uh, excellent. Uh, how frequently should someone uh, make time to work on their niche? Every day. Mm. I think you have to work on it. You know, it's John Maxwell, right? Is he the one, the 10,000 hours or something? I don't know, to to mastery. (laughs) But um, I I think, you know, your niche, again, this is being authentic and true to yourself. Your niche, if if you're really in it, it's, it's, it's a part of your DNA. And if that's the case, then it can't be neglected. It has to be cultivated. And that's a daily process. If you want it to grow, and you want it to develop to its full potential. Mm. It's like, you know, gardening or whatever. You, you really have to give it time. And that may be time in your, you know, again, a Maxwellism, time in your thinking chair, you, mm. 15 minutes a day, just giving it a little bit of a, a, a perusal, just, just an evaluation or an assessment. Um, but allowing yourself to sort of percolate with your niche daily is essential if you want to have mastery in that area. Mm. 
um, you know, uh, Oswell Chambers actually has a quote that says, uh, perseverance is more than endurance. It is endurance combined with absolute assurance and certainty that what you are looking for is going to happen. And so if you were to give some motivation, some uh, nugget of truth to help somebody to endure they may be at a point where they feel like giving up. They may not be as indomitable as 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 your younger self was. Uh, what what would you give them uh, to help them persevere? I think first and foremost, in those times when there's doubt, because again, perseverance sort of belies a, a, a sense that it might not happen, right? You, you think in your mind, there's this chance I'm not going to get there. Mm. And so what do you have to tell yourself to put one foot in front of another to, to keep going, right? To, to, to stay in it. Um, you know, I like, I like Serena Williams when she's playing, you know, and she's in a match mm. and she's, looking at defeat she tells herself you know come on (laughs) come on Uh, sometimes you just have to tell yourself you know snap out of it there's there's no doubt there's no doubt that you're going to get there and and that that's where like you know the old school people like um adam clayton powell i I'm a card-carrying member of Abyssinia Baptist Church, although I haven't been there um, since the pandemic. And he used to always tell the congregation, keep the faith, baby, keep the faith. I think fundamentally, you know, when when you're feeling like you can't hold on anymore, it's your faith that you have to pay attention to. So fundamentally, you just have to tell yourself, I believe I'm going to get to X, I believe it's going to happen. Mm. And as you begin talking to yourself, then you you start moving in that direction. Mm. Mm. And last question that I have for you. How do you know when it's time to change course versus staying focused on your goal? I'm, I'm a strong believer in gut instinct and conscience. Mm. And quite often before you even take a make a move down the wrong path you you know it's the wrong path sometimes you're on a path that's not the ultimate destination but you know you're on the right path mm. it's just a matter of taking that path then to the next path which may be a right angle or you know who knows what direction it's going to go in but you're on the right path it's just not the 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 ultimate path um, and and then there are other times where you just know, yes, it's a rough road, but I'm totally on the right path and it's going to take me to the ultimate destination. Mm. Um, but ultimate, I think you, you feel it in your heart. Like there's a, there's a, um, a prescience about knowing where, you know, this path is going to take you. And the one variable is ignoring that gift of knowing you're on the wrong path. Don't ignore your heart when you know you're on the wrong path. At that point, you need to start assessing how you got to that path and and what change needs to be made. Mm. Love it. 
now, everybody who's been listening to this program, the Niche Finder community, uh, those who would like to hear more or get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, that's a great one. I have a website, the upwardly.co. So you can find me there. Upwardly.co? Yes. Very good. Upwardly.co. All right. And so for our Niche Finder community, those who've been tuning in or if you're tuning in for the very first time, uh, you know, you can reach us on, uh, you can go on to actually, we have a, a new site that's helping people to, uh, you know, find out ways to accelerate what they have to offer as their niche and bring it online. It's something that will help save you time. It would help to get you over what we see to be the three biggest mistakes that coaches, consultants, and counselors make when trying to deliver their niche online. If you want to learn what that is, uh, just uh, visit us on launchmyniche.org. Again, that's launchmyniche.org. And and you can learn more. We'll actually tell you the answer within 10 minutes and not only tell you the answer, but give you some tools on how to avoid it and not have it a part of your journey. We want to thank today. <laughs> we want to thank Dr. Uh, Erica Urquhart, uh, Dr. Mark Urquhart's better half for being on the show today. And uh, so much substance, so much layers of understanding um, and so much value that I felt like you added to the program today. It's such a privilege having you on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this. Uh, and we look forward to see where your journey and your endeavors will take you in a not so distant future. Thank you again. Thank you, Cliff. All right, to the Niche Finder community, we look forward to sharing another moment with you as we help you on your journey towards success. Thank you again for tuning in.